Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. You ready? Yeah. What right does a man have to rule another? I think you're so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that if I invented a particular device, pretty soon I'd have to get a permit from the state to use my own product. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants for a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. Freedom. They are not independent of each other. These are not two different things which are at opposite ends of the pole. They are one thing of which the one is a negation of the other. They say, why don't you get into politics? I mean, why don't you try to run for office? Then you can create change. You don't create change when you're in office. They tell you what to do. This is how we create change, by getting this information out to the masses. We can do more in one year than someone can sitting in office for eight years. Together they can break us, we are strong. Divide us and the road leads to destruction. Don't you fall a prey to Babylon. They want to pull us all in different directions. So they take you from the root and teach you their own truth. Open up your mind, please don't you be so blind. I'm not in it for the fame, I'm in it for the love. When it's all said and done, we're more than blood. That's it. Welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. It is podcast number 131, and we are not cattle radio. I'm your host, Jake Counts. Uh, with me, as always, Josh Wiley of statelesshomesteading.com. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself, buddy? I'm excited for this one. It's been a long time. Oh, my gosh. Well, lots of ha- a, lot of, a lot of things have happened. Um, new daughter. That'll, uh, that'll throw a little wrench in the system. But um, a lot of it had to do with understanding where we were going with... Um, <laughs> with this Donald Trump presidency, and I didn't really just want to weigh in on a bunch of nonsense and be another talking head. Um, I wanted to sit back and engage what was going on and and really come to you guys with some information that's, once again, something you're not going to hear um, on a lot of these other stations. So uh, always glad to have Josh on board. We are about to start another venture that we'll, uh, we'll probably plug it at the end of the show. But um, we've got a lot to cover. And um, mainly what I wanted to talk about was the, the upcoming technocracy and what we can all expect out of this new world that we're going to live in. And Josh, I think I should start us out with a clip and, um, and get us rolling because this, um, this will spark, I believe, a, a great conversation between the two of us, uh, having some kind of um, programming acumen. Uh, me having a, a networking acumen and just understanding where this is going to fall very, very short. But um, once again, just like all great technologies, it really sounds, it's like socialism. It sounds so good. Here we go. 
Four years ago, we started to wonder, what would shopping look like if you could walk into a store, grab what you want, and just go? What if we could weave the most advanced machine learning, computer vision, and AI into the very fabric of a store so you never have to wait in line? No lines, no checkouts, no registers. Hold on, wait a minute. I don't think they got humans either. Welcome to Amazon Go. Use the Amazon Go app to enter. Then put away your phone and start shopping. It's really that simple. Take whatever you like. Anything you pick up is automatically added to your virtual cart. If you change your mind about that cupcake, just put it back. Put it down, you fat ass. Our technology will update your virtual cart automatically. So how does it work? We used computer vision, deep learning algorithms, and sensor fusion, much like you'd find in self-driving cars. We call it Just Walk Out Technology. Once you've got everything you want, you can just go. When you leave, our Just Walk Out technology adds up your virtual cart and charges your Amazon account. Your receipt is sent straight to the app, and you can keep going. Amazon Go. No lines, no checkout. No, seriously. So what do you think, Josh? Sounds great. We're just praise, gonna... praise Lord Bezos. That's all I have to say. You know, th- I mean, this all sounds great, Jake. I don't know what you're complaining about. You know, you don't even you don't even have to interact with anyone. You don't even have to you don't even have to bring a credit card anymore, mm-hmm. man. Just have your credit phone. cards are heavy and bulky. Exactly. Well, and that's the your great. Fo- your smartphone's so secure too. And, and that's the great thing is that when you walk in, when you walk in, there's probably nobody sitting in aisle five with a grasshopper stealing all of your data. <laughs> Because it's acting as its own Wi-Fi unit, and it's grabbing all your information. For well, you're already of, an Amazon Prime customer, so you know you have no expectation of privacy in that regard. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. So, so I'm I'm going to assume that this story is uh, the PR stunt that Amazon pulled. I had never heard that video, but I read a story about this. What I would deem a PR stunt after the acquisition of Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. No, this was yeah. uh, this was actually back in December when they did this. So it was. Oh really. Yeah, so, so I mean, it's it's clear that this has been in the works for quite some time. Then, well, they said it's been four years in the making, Josh, and now it's just like it, you know, just like graduating from you know graduating from high school, four years in the making or college. You just you're graduating into the technocracy where you don't have to have passwords, you don't have to have anything. You just have to have your smartphone. And then the great thing is, Josh, now that we can just chip ourselves, you won't even have to have your phone. You just walk in and. Amazon knows who you are, and it's it's fantastic. I think we're I think we're there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, bar, barring the fact that this is the the death of privacy, and it, it really is, uh, you know, a consumer paradise that they're that they're creating. Uh, you, what Whole Foods is is a, uh, a very high end retail distribution chain. That's essentially what Amazon has purchased. Um, so where are they going to be rolling these places out? They're going to be rolling them out in very high rent uh, districts of uh, what's left of what people would call the posh upper middle class in this country, which is really the remnants of your consumer base. Most most people 
would never shop at a store like that or desire that that kind of a service. I mean, in a lot of senses, they're late to the game. You've got these, uh, you know, these delivery service apps that are popping up all over the place. Uh, like uh, Favor is one where they essentially charge a very small fee for someone to do your grocery shopping for you entirely. Mm-hmm. You know, walk it straight up to your front door. So, I mean, for the for that con- a consumer with that mindset, that lackadaisical and passive a mindset about you know going shopping or interacting with people in the grocery store, um, why would why would they use this Amazon service as opposed to you know just getting it dropped off? Or ordering it on Amazon Prime. I mean, I, in, in a sense, it seems retrogressive. Uh, it reminds me of the AOL Time Warner murder, in a sense. Well, and that's the interesting thing, too, is I'm glad that you brought that up. There, there's a service down here. We have um, grocery chains called Kroger. I don't know if you guys have those up there. But they have this yeah, thing. Kroger is a national chain, I believe. Okay, fantastic. So they have this thing called ClickList, which my wife and I use a lot because we've got two kids. And it's very... It's challenging to to go shopping with a couple of a couple of young kids because you end up buying stuff you don't need. Sometimes you rush out because you know the kid has you know a bad time in the store, wants something that you can't give them and can't console them, so you have to just leave. But um, you can you can order all of your stuff and schedule your time to go pick it up, and they have somebody that wheels it out to your car, loads it in, you swipe your credit card, and it's a I think you're exactly right, but what I wanted to get across to the to the to the listening audience is that they're now selling this stuff as a very convenient, very sexy. It's very packaged. Once again, we talk about uh, how these PR firms work and how these rollouts work. It's always a, a non-threatening, almost effeminate male talking to you, so you don't feel like that you know that it's very offensive that it, it can all be digested it's it's very calming it's almost like NPR so lulling the lulling the sheeple class into what you and I have warned about for years which is the full digital currency the full implementation of not having any paper whatsoever not having any physical assets to trade and so with the current situation of our financial system, uh, both here abroad, uh, globally, this is the route that they're going to go. And they've told you this for, for many, many years. But now it seems like that it's here. It's starting to get a little bit of legs. It's, it's moved from the crawling stage, so it's got legs. It's tripping and falling a little bit. But you do need to be aware that what is coming, what is coming is extremely dangerous and it and it will change society um, for the better or for the worse. And I guess this will be a good point uh, a good point for us to shift a little bit, Josh, and talk about um, what you and I discussed last night, which is the uh, the fourth turning and well, and about before, how before we, we do that, sure, before we launch into that, Jake, because you brought up a lot of interesting points about the this fusion between the cashless society and I think is really interesting the food distribution system. Sure. Um, uh, because obviously we're seeing cash, the cashless society roll out in places like India, you know, where you know the five hundred, the one thousand rupee note were demonetized in December, and now they're trying to force people into these digital asset accounts. Uh, they're they're taxing gold at extremely high rates, putting uh, import taxes on silver as well. Now it's creating a huge black market um, for g- cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin traded at a tremendous premium now in India. Um, si- simply because uh, these people are trying to evade capital controls. I mean, this is if you want to if you want to have any modicum of financial 
not just privacy but freedom. I mean, these are these are going to be the avenues that even the Western world will have to take eventually. But it's it's fascinating to me that you know Amazon buys Whole Foods, which as I noted before is really a high end kind of retail distribution network, and you see demographically this push with this Agenda 21, Agenda 2030 mindset towards hyper-urbanization mm-hmm. and the creation of almost new city-states yep. and linking these city-states together. You see this in the East playing out with um, smart cities in the, along the new Silk Road. Mm-hmm. That's the infrastructure plan that China wants for the future throughout North Africa. And you see that happening in America, too. I mean, one of the, most bur- one of the burgeoning mega-regions, I think, of the next 20 years, and it's already started, is, is, the, is the Texas Triangle really combining itself with uh, parts of the old Mexican industrial base. Uh, and this is going to be a huge avenue for, for trade, especially commodities-based trade. Um, but the point is, as these, as these mega regions start to pop up, this is where Whole Foods is located. This is where grocery stores are located. I mean, I went from living in Austin, Texas earlier this year, which was a very interesting experience. Just tremendous development going on there. I think they said they have something like 50,000 people, 5,000 5, people moving there every day. My Lord. Insa- it's insane growth, and it, it, it shows. I mean, it's, it's a city that's not designed for that many people. No, no, um, I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a boom town. But seeing that versus also having grown up in the Rust Belt and owning property in the rural part of the Rust Belt, uh, you know, I've run the gambit from the hyper-urbanization to these new mega cities to seeing what's happening in the countryside as well. And the way these people get their food, you either have a, a, a large distribution center, whether that's an organic chain like a Whole Foods or a Sprouts or, you know, it's a mid-tier like a Meyer or a Kroger and HEB, mm-hmm. depending on where you are in the country. Uh, you know, if, the, if your town does not have one of these, you know, you're driving 30, 40 minutes, maybe even an hour to, to, to get, to, you know, food at a good price. Right. Unless you want to pay, you know, the one small town grocery store who's got a monopoly on, on the market. Right. Uh, and, and this, it never used to be like this, Jake. Every single town in America used to have one, two, three vibrant small town grocery stores right. as well as a farmer's market. Right. And, and in some senses, it's positive because you see rural communities returning to a, like a farmer's market model. Uh, roadside stands are really popular in a, in a lot of parts of rural Michigan. Uh, so that, that, part's, that part's positive. But, you know, as this technocracy forces on, it requires centralization. But that, and that's, just not, that's not just centralization of data or centralization of assets. It's centralization of people uh, and, and ushering people into that kind of environment. You do it with access to goods. Yeah, and, and it's it's already happening, and so the easiest people to sell that to is is the trendies. Well, and and that's a perfect lead into what I was going to say is that this and make kind it of food make it a necessity, right? And this kind of Amazon Go store is going to pop up in every stack and pack that there is because that's what those types of people want. If you're living in a stack and pack, you have already you have already decided that you are going to live with a bunch of other people for the convenience of having everything that you could possibly want. Um, walking distance from where you sleep, as opposed to yeah, just say it like that because I mean some people have no choice. Well, that's they the won't. Other thing. Well, I mean, that's what of, you're a saying. Lot of millennials and trendies do it for the convenience sure. of it all. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the same time, I know, I know, I met a lot of 
Midwestern transplants when I was there. I mean, a lot of them from Chicago, Michigan, because they and they moved to these places. I mean, rents, for example, in the Midwest are insanely cheap, but there there's not consistent employment in many parts of of, of the Midwestern states of the Rust Belt states. There's mm-hmm. little pockets that are that are doing well, and the rest of these states are are not at all. These right. people are hurting. So when they, when you move to Austin, Texas, or you know Dallas, or even Atlanta, mm-hmm. and you're used to paying, you know. Five hundred five hundred dollars a month for rent plus utilities, and then you know on your thirty thousand dollar a year salary, and now you go you move south uh, or west for the prospect of better employment. You don't have you don't have a choice, you know, but to live in a stack and pack where you pay people a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars a month for rent. Well, that's very true. I, I mean, that was, but I guess from a it's tragic. Well, from a logistical standpoint, that's where I see these things going from uh, the Amazon Go stores because, like you said, it's it's going to be – I mean, there's a convenience factor to it. But like you said, people are being forced into these things. So when – how do we get out of the financial situation that we're in, I guess, is the is the next question that we're going to tackle or at least try to tackle. But in order to understand that, we have to understand – uh, a couple of things. Um, number one, we have to understand the current financial situation. And I pulled a couple of clips from uh, an interview that Catherine Austin Fitz did uh, on um, uh, Greg Hunter's show. And I would I would highly recommend that anytime you see um, Greg Hunter interviewing somebody like her, Cliff High, um, just anyone, he does a great job interviewing. He was a former he was a former um, news was he an anchor or was he a was he a reporter on the street? I can't remember. He he was both at varying points in his career. I think he worked for ABC and then yeah. CNN. Yeah. So he talks to Catherine Austin Fitz, and Catherine Austin Fitz talks about the real news that's going on. And then, uh, Josh, I'm going to have some humor as we go into the Alex Jones NLP segment. But um, here is what Catherine Austin Fitz says that the real news uh, about the budget is and and what we need to do as a society uh, comes up in the next clip. So here we go. The real news is that since fiscal 1995, we have disappeared or bailed out or stolen over $40 trillion of our money. And if we're going to balance the budget, we need that $40 trillion or the assets thereon or the liabilities created by the people who stole it back on the table or else we're toast. Now, if we can give $27 trillion to the banks, I assure you, you know, we can afford $4 trillion of pension fund bailout. That is a really good point, and I want everybody to drive that home and think about that. Because that's what's going to come down the pike is that they're going to say that we don't have enough money to bail out these pensions, but yet they could bail out the giant monster mega banks and have them pay out bonuses and basically thumb their nose at the American public. But now they're going to they're going to basically screw these government employees that have given 30 plus years of their life to to do something that is um, for all intents and purposes, you're going to take less money if you're working in a government job just you know, on average as opposed to something in a privatized industry. But I do want to finish this clip, Josh, and I want to get your take on it before we move into a couple other clips that I've got. But Mr. Global doesn't want us doing the algebra. You know, if you have an honest news, uh, like uh, a serious news effort with people talking about the money – you know, anybody can. This is like fourth grade math. Twenty-seven trillion to bail out the banks, 
and we're not going to bail out the pension funds? What's that? What, you know, where does that come from? So, Josh, when we see this coming down and whether it's uh, – and you and I talked about this. Do you think that, do you think that there is a way for, number one, for, for the aristocratic banking class to postpone this, um, this reset or this quote-unquote um, correction that has to take place? That's a hard question because on one level I think they have uh, a very um, – not fixed roadmap, but they have a couple of very clear solutions that they're partial to and they're moving along at a decent pace. And there's broad supranational acceptance of, of ideas that have been floated about currency baskets with a partial weighting to gold and other commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, so on one level, I think, yeah, they, it's, it'll go on until they don't want it, they want it to stop. On another level, you know, you could, or one could argue that cryptocurrencies are a black swan of sorts, and they're just sort of this this alternative financial structure that's entirely ethereal and ephemeral but has the capability of eating a large amount of debt-based assets and turning them into no one's debt, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Every, every time you exchange fiat currencies for one of these things, uh, you're essentially holding an asset with little to no counterparty risk that is not a debt-based asset, right. which is with the exception of you know physical holding physical commodities or precious metals correct uh, there's very few assets that are actually like that and certainly none that have the arguably none that have the utility of certain cryptocurrencies uh so that's the black swan if if something happens there a massive flood in mm-hmm. then you could say yeah but at the same time at the at the current state of technological development for cryptocurrencies i think it would end in disaster Mm-hmm. So for the most part, I would say, yeah, I would say that it's a it's people like to think of this as a some kind of controlled uh, or or uncontrolled mistake. Excuse me, mm-hmm. that oh the Fed had to respond and they printed all of this money and they're just boobs and they don't know what they're doing. And I, I completely, <laughs> if you're a listener to the show or a reader of my blog, you know I completely reject this thesis. I think this is a, this is a fairy tale child's version of of monetary history and macro finance. For the most part, I think this is a managed transition. And you need certain assets in place before you complete that transition. Um, and one of those, one of the big ones, is the moving of uh, gold and, and commodities from west to east. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this isn't this isn't Western bank central banks selling their gold to the east because they're idiots. This is this is just old wealth moving their gold, essentially revolting it. Yeah. Um, at least that's my opinion. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of policy papers and historical. Um, primary sources, first-hand sources, you know. Uh, oh, to, how to, dare you. Yeah, to, to back up that thesis. So, yeah, sorry, that's a long answer, but no, that's, there it is. It's very fair. So let's, um, let's hear what Catherine Austin Fitz says about how we should at least try to tackle what, what's facing us and our generation. Because I, I don't think the boomers are going to get hit really hard with this. Because they'll be able to milk Social Security and Social Security's, you know, obviously, uh, in the next, I think it's the next five years that um, will 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 send out more funds than it takes in. And then when you see something like that, then you look at what happened in Italy in the 1970s, and it's the exact same social welfare program that goes bust and takes the whole country down with it. 
and then you have 20 years of reconstruction and, and refinancing and retooling in order to get yourself somewhat stable and then pushing back into a, a thriving economy eventually. And that's if the um, that's if the oligarchs don't uh, don't take you down the entire shearing path of of blowing the whole thing up. But here we go. Uh, this is her solution, and or at least one idea that we can put into play, which I think is very very fair. But um, given the political climate, uh, this is what people don't want to uh, they don't want to talk about. And and the budget reflects. Um, many different issues, but one of the issues it, it reflects is that we have a hidden system of finance and a black budget and all sorts of secret spending, and it's very difficult to re-engineer the budget unless you bring transparency to what's really been going on. And that's why we focused on enforce the Constitution, because this transparency has to happen. We cannot change, we cannot deal with our problems without re-engineering the budget, and that means re-engineering the whole budget not just sort of the official story budget. There you go. So before we get your comments on that, Josh, I've got something for you. So you heard how Catherine Austin Fitz um, brings to light the black budget. I want you to hear... Remember, Josh, you and I were probably conspiracy theorists five years ago talking about the black budget and secret black budget operations. But I want you to hear how NPR rolls it out to their audience. I have to say, the thing that strikes me about the budget is that half of it, more than half of it, is just made up by three programs, Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. And then in the rest, overwhelmingly the biggest chunk is defense. And so there is this old line that I still love, which is the federal government is basically a big insurance company backed by a large standing army. Good try, NPR. Here we go. And here's what... It's pretty close. Yeah, but here's what we go. Here It gets it gets even better. Here we go. We really did cover almost the entire budget. Like, this is almost everything we spend money on. Except, it is not the whole budget. Go on. There's a part of the budget that is known as the black budget. The black budget? Yes. What is the black budget? The bl- She's actually laughing. Listen to this. Listen to this. I'm going to roll it back. Listen to these people. Listen to this nonsense. Budget? Yes. What is the black budget? The black budget! All right, Stacey, give me the black budget story. The black budget. I talked to Lindsay Koshgarian, who is the research director at the National Priorities Project, and asked her what it is. So the black budget is a part of the federal budget that is devoted to national security. It's top secret. And Lindsay says that most of what we know about the black budget comes from the Edward Snowden leak in 2013. Good try again. So it includes things like the CIA, you know, secret agents, drone programs and the National Security Agency. And a bunch of other secret agent type stuff. So this. (laughs) That's not broad. This is all. Hidden. That, that covers it like, all, so though, when Jake. you took your spreadsheets and spent a week trying to do the math for this show, all this stuff you're describing is not in those spreadsheets. It's not on those pie charts. It's, it's secret money. It's secret money. Fantastic. 
Fantastic. Hey, they're not following the Constitution. They're doing everything outside of law. They're stealing our money, and they're doing whatever the hell they want with it. This is great. Wow, you are such an enlightening person. So for, that, that for you know that this... other that other uh, spy stuff is that what she said? Other yeah. spy stuff. Here we can roll you know, back. Like 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 wet works and, uh, <laughs> and drug running and gun running and uh, color revolution in Ukraine. You know, that, and payoffs and bribes just that other stuff. Just that. It's good. Good. Listen, it gets better. Do we know of course, how much how much money the government spends? So before the Snowden leak, we really had no idea, but. <clears throat> There was kind of an unofficial official. Man, they got three others. This might have to just kill this clip. That's three strikes. Hold on. Official number floating around of half a billion dollars. Okay, or so. half a billion dollars. And then the Snowden leak came out, and we learned that it was a lot more than that. It's about seventy billion dollars. Oh, that's <laughs> profoundly more. <laughs> seventy billion. That's a. That's about two percent of the budget. But I mean. That number is from a few years ago, and to be honest, we really don't know how big the black budget is today. And that's how the show ends. That is literally how the show ends right there. They just fade. Almost, almost we, every single piece of information in that piece was, was factually incorrect. Josh gets a millennial coin. Woohoo! That is, that, it's insane that, you know, I, I listen to NPR whenever I'm in the car, quite ironically, for the most part, just to listen to the, to the idiocy of these people. And I'd say that's a typical NPR segment, just 90% complete misinformation dug up by, you know, lazy 30-somethings who uh, listen to too much neutral fucking milk hotel. <laughs> but it's okay, Josh. Listen, you know, it's just, you know, secret spy stuff. Wow, that's real. That's riveting. I mean, the Defense Department releases their, their, uh, their audits on a quarterly basis. It's not like it's some secret thing. You just look at all the money that's missing and you subtract it from their total, their total you know, expenditures and then you get that fucking number. It's not that hard. I'm sorry. I know I'm getting millennial coins out the ass right now for the vulgarity. I do apologize for, for the listeners at home with young children. Close your ears, although maybe you should be telling them about these things at a very young age. Uh, but I think Catherine Austin Fitz calculated, I believe, in either 2015 or 2016. 2015, uh, the 2015, 20, the undocumented adjustments? The undocumented adjustments for DOD for, for 2015 were uh, $8.3 trillion, I believe. Yep. Which is the largest year since 2001 when Donald Rumsfeld announced that number at $2.3 trillion. So we have, at, for, for just whoa, whoa, those whoa, whoa, two whoa. years. Before you just go past that, now when was that number announced, the 2001 number? The two point oh, three, September tenth of two thousand one, of course. Great timing, Donnie. Yeah. Hey guys, we, we're we're missing a we're missing a ton of money here. Oh look, yeah. planes flew into buildings. Isn't that a hmm. what happened? Well, and you know, as much as I agree with Catherine's sentiment, because the American people are being robbed, they're they're being robbed blind. Um, and a lot, it's a lot of old people that are being robbed blind. And you know, whether or not they. Uh, Steal, continue to steal from my generation to pay out, you know, my my dad and my my uncle and my my grandparents' pension plans and four hundred one k plans. I mean, I've got a lot of family that worked for General Motors. They've already been bailed out. Are you, are you kidding me? Like, they should be homeless right now. I mean, and their family. I mean that sincerely. It's sad, but you know, hey, Government Motors was is an evil was an evil institution to begin with. Then it was a bankrupt institution. 
Uh, it should have failed. That's what happened. That's what's supposed to happen in an organic market. I could have sworn it. That's what we were in. Weren't we in a capitalist society? Uh, but isn't that I, what all the socialists say? That it's down with capitalism. <laughs> but I mean, Catherine. Catherine is right when she says that that this mass of money is more than enough to pay off this fake federal debt. Mm-hmm. It's more than enough to fund all these pensions and four hundred one k's and IRAs. Because quite frankly, that's where a lot of it has gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, is into this black budget hole. Uh, but because people are educated by the likes of NPR or cable news where they don't talk about these things at all for the most part, or if you're younger, social media, where the, the discourse is arguably worse, um, you know, how are you going to get to a point where you get that money back? Because Catherine's under the de- delusional impression, I think. I shouldn't say delusional. That, that's harsh. But she's under the very optimistic impression that you can get together enough productive people in this country to to. To strike a bargain with these people, yeah. To to either get the money back or to get them to, you know, use the money for infrastructure or investing in the future. Um, and I just I don't I don't see how that happens in the in the standpoint that we're in right now. I mean, just look at the mentality of the generation that has that has sold, you know, the future effectively. Mm-hmm. These these people are baby boomers are now starting to take mandatory distributions yeah. on their 401ks and IRAs mm-hmm. which means that they're going to start they have to legally sell you know a certain fixed percentage it's a 5 or 10% of their equities holdings every single month is it month quarter i can't remember i i forget the specific details but that's that's rapidly approaching for for you know the the big center chunk of the baby boomer generation and the question is whether or not you just continue to float equities. And there's a lot of indication that that's the case. Janet Yellen coming out and saying, well, you know, rate hikes, they were on the table, but maybe now they're not so on the table. Yeah. Uh, and they don't necessarily even have to print more money. No. They've got a lot of money from QE1 through 3 that's just sitting on the sidelines. Very true. That's not out into the marketplace because all these big banking institutions have made an agreement that once they expand the balance sheet that they're just going to hold on to it and not let the loans out. Yeah, so. well, they just they just give it to one another, right. and then they they give it to corporations who buy their own stock. Like it's not even it's not it's not rocket science. They're just no. they're just floating. They're especially like I mean this this Dow rally has been almost entirely in the Fang stocks: Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google. I mean the broader market is is uh, not healthy right now at all. If you look at Standard Equities, um, th- those those you know four or five companies, those these tech stocks, these high flying tech stocks are pulling everything else up. This is very true. Yeah, but but that's the that's the real question is you know do you have that gen, that next that oldest generation uh, steal from their their kids essentially and just say well federal government you know you promised me these uh, these guaranteed accounts my money market accounts my four hundred one ks so continue to fund them mm-hmm. and of course what happens when they when you're forced to start selling you not only have a a, a downtrend in the market eventually at some point. But you have a bunch of old people who are fl- flush with cash. So where else is that going to go? You know, you haven't seen real consumer price inflation since since 2009. And people have been scratching their heads as to where it is. Yep. And it's, be, it's sitting in the stock market right now. Right. So, you know, one, once boomers start to, start to sell and spend, I mean, it's going to hit your pocketbook eventually. And that's when things get nasty. Or you just say genera- intergenerationally, oh, well, we're sorry we made such bad mistakes. Let's invest in the future, uh, but I highly doubt the most selfish generation in human history is going to do that um, because they won't. 
I mean, I've talked to a lot of them. <laughs> no, no, because they they've just, earned it and they've paid into it, and it's and you know it's that's that, how they feel. That's how they feel. You paid into a Ponzi scheme, but I mean, hey. Well, I think <laughs> I, I think well, it's time to uh, it's time to shift into something a little bit more uh, relaxing. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for the Alex Jones NLP Game Show uh, with our guest, Josh Wiley, and contestant. Josh is sitting at two and a half SDRs, the uh, silverback SDRs, I believe. And now this show, he has got an opportunity to win 50 SDRs because there is a bonus question. Now, these are actually both two-part questions. So here we go. Uh, actually, the first one is a two-part. The second one is a solo question. First one, uh, one SDR for the first answer on the question, and the follow-up question is worth fi- is worth fifty SDRs. Here we go. So, Josh, do you remember the interview with Donald Trump and Alex Jones? Uh, I do. It was a phone interview. Yes, correct. Do you remember what Donald Trump said that we should do with the oil in Afghanistan? Take it. Do you remember more specifically who we should bring in to take the oil? I couldn't tell you. Honestly, I don't even think I listened to this entire interview. So here we go. All right, I will give you some choices. Okay. We should bring in OPEC. We should bring in U.S. companies. We should partner with the EU. Or we should sell it. I would assume U.S. companies. Okay. Here we go. With Russia when they're not doing anything to us. Right. Well, uh, number one, and, and just to finish on the oil, by the way, I say hit the oil, but we should keep the oil. In other words, we should keep. We'll get ExxonMobil. They'll go in. We'll get other of our oil companies. We'll get some of the great oil companies. We've been Send in that. Rex. Gee, I wonder how he got that gig. And it's so funny that the that the the, the Democrats and and well, you know, I guess I guess they were just too heartbroken not to figure this out. The whole game plan for the Trump presidency was laid out well in advance, and you knew exactly what was going to happen. And he even told you who he was going to get to go into Afghanistan. And then who does he hire? The former CEO of Exxon. So there you go. Very good, Josh. You uh, picked up the SDR. Too bad you could not get I, I Yes. So correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, ExxonMobil was uh, originally a subsidiary of what company? Um, oh gosh, wasn't it the? Hold on, wasn't it the? Wasn't it the? Um, was it JD Rockefeller's company? Was it Standard Oil? Oh, maybe it was. Uh, yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got give yourself an SDR for that Woo-hoo! one. I'm gonna give myself a millennial coin. <laughs> All right, I, first one of the year. That, that's an oil-backed SDR. At, weight at 5%, but only in Brent crude, Jake. No refined gas oh, for you. Oh, man. Well, But, yeah, that Exxon and Mobil were actually two uh, separate companies mm-hmm. uh, initially, obviously, and they've since merged. But this is uh, 
they were both subsidiaries of Standard Oil after the uh, trust buster Teddy Roosevelt came to town and uh, did absolutely nothing but split a company up so it could trade five times. <laughs> there you go. On the open exchange. Kind of like uh, yeah. Kind of like what they did to AT and T. But now nah, we won't even talk about that. So back to the show. All right, Josh. Now this is my favorite clip. Now. This is a clip from Alex Jones uh, when he was doing the Megyn Kelly interview. Turn that volume down a little bit. Alex Jones and the Megyn Kelly interview. Alex Jones has a gentleman by the name of Owen Schroyer that works for him. Now, before Owen Schroyer goes on air, he does, he checks the news, he gathers his thoughts. And then what does he do right before he goes on air? I can't... This is worth 50 SDRs. I cannot give you any clues. Well, I mean... Think about the demographic. I will tell you one clue. I want to go with... I want to go with... Gives Paul Joseph Watson an international reach around. But I'm (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's not the right answer. So I'm going to go with the praise. All right, everybody. Let's see what... Do I have to specify who or what? No, no. Let's see what let's see what happens. Okay. On a day-to-day basis, figure out what you're going to do. I wake up. I look at the news. I uh, pray. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Wiley has just got 50 SDRs. What do you have to say for yourself, sir? (laughs) Well. You know, I'm just, I'm really proud of myself in this moment. Now, is this the MSDR or the OSDR? I don't know. Y- your choice this time. You know, I'll, t- I'll, take the, I'll take the Chinese bomb back home. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being a contestant on the Alex Jones NLP Game Show. Remember, Alex tells you the truth, but don't forget to buy his products. That's it. So, moving out of that segment, that was fun. I, um... I couldn't find any. I, I've I found myself not being able to stomach the uh, the Trump News Network as much as uh, as much as I did in the past, just because I've got better things to do with my time than to listen to somebody um, be an apologist for um, somebody that wants a uh, trillion dollar jobs program. That kind of sounds like socialism, but I guess it's I guess it's kind of not somehow somehow that's well, not socialist. On, on the front of Catherine Austin Fitz, I mean, because I, I found it very strange that she took such an abrupt turnaround. An alt-media figure and a whistleblower that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Mm-hmm. I mean, throughout 2016, she was, if, to use market terminology, she was incredibly Trump-bearish. Mm-hmm. Using her personal experiences leasing a building from the man. So it's not like he's a casual, I mean, it's not like he's a media figure to her. She, he was, at one point, a business associate of hers. Mm-hmm. And she essentially had nothing good to say about the man. Mm-hmm. And then something changed in September of 2016 where she started talking about Trump being a Molotov cocktail you can throw at the establishment. And, uh, you know, this Make America Great Again thing having legs in terms of building infrastructure with black budget money. I mean, right. this is what – and again, this is what she claimed – was really the long game there. And maybe she's privy to some sort of insider information that I am not. I mm-hmm. mean, I, she, she may be. You know, how, you know me, Jake. I, I listen to that stuff, but I don't, I don't weigh on it heavily too much. Mm-hmm. I, try to, I try to look at you know, just statistics, demographics, and policy papers, right. really, to see, where, to see where these people are guiding things. How dare you? 
<laughs> so, but I, I always found that an interesting transition. But that's that's the crux of what she saw. She thought that jobs program, that public works program, as being like an FDR esque um, uh, raid on the deep state budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I again, I just don't know. I don't. Maybe she saw a different type of administration shaping up at this point with Wilbur Ross, Rothschild Inc. Yeah. Uh, you know, with Steve Mnuchin running the Treasury, the Goldman guy with Dina Powell, you know, the Goldman Sachs imperialist yeah, all putting, Goldman. putting lipstick on that pig. All and Goldman. So, Steve Bannon is Goldman yep, Sachs. Former Goldman. You know? yep. Goldman and Goldman, Rothschild Inc. Yep. board members yep. and, you know, a lot a lot of oil companies and energy companies. I mean this is I don't know how you could envision those people. Well, he drained the swamp, but then he filled it <laughs> up with a bunch of back. oil. Yeah, he filled, he filled it with a bunch of oil and commodities. Great job, man. So, uh, let's see. What do we got here? I've got a couple. Have you ever seen the show? I know your dad watches this show. Have you ever seen the show on Fox? This is kind of shifting back a little bit. Since we're still talking about finance, this is regarding the G20. Um, the um, have, you, have you ever seen the show called The Specialist? don't believe so. Okay, well, I will give you the intro, and you'll hear the lineup of people that they have uh, on this show. But what I specifically want to go into is, um, this is, uh, when I hear grammar like this, and I hear how these people talk, it is absolutely appalling to me that these people have a television show that people watch and give credence to. So let's first of all find out who the panel is. Hello, everyone. I'm Kat Tintz, along with Ebony K. Williams and Eric Bowling. We are the Fox News Specialist. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, American Wife. She is the wife of the late famed U.S. SEAL sniper Chris Kyle, and she's a Fox News contributor. But she specializes in doing volunteer work for the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, which helps strengthen family support networks for military members and first responders. Taya Kyle is here. And he is a former New York sports broadcaster. He's a former man of the year for the New York City Patrolmen's Benevolent Association. He's the host of the Steve Malzberg Show on Newsmax TV, and he specializes in fighting back against fake news. Steve <laughs> Malzberg is here. He won't get any of any of that here, sir. I know that. Nothing but the real, I true fake left news. Left my boxing gloves at home. Oh, Freudian slip. Did anybody catch it? Did anybody catch the Freudian slip? The real, true, fake news. The real, true, fake news. Millennial coin. That was beautiful. Okay. Ah, that 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 was a good one. Who was the you. first? What was the 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 pedigree of the first guest? Uh, it's Chris Kyle's wife. Oh yeah, Chris Kyle's wife. Oh, yeah, that was it. The oh, one man. that won the big lawsuit, and then um, basically, who the, did, who the hell even knows if that's a real person? Oh yeah, well, here we I go. I mean, if he was a real person, we know he's a teller of tall tales, certainly. This is very so how true. M- how much? How much of the entire story is real? Well, you don't need don't to know. ask questions I, I like that, Josh. He's, you know, if you're going to invent the evil villain Abu Bakr al Baghdadi, you need to invent a super soldier to face him. You know, absolutely. The have... problem with Chris Kyle is you can only kill him once. <laughs> Ab- <laughs> Abu Bakr, he'll he'll be dead another seven times before the end of this interview. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here's the reason that I had to actually bring this group up. Um. Whoa, this is just so disgusting. All right, I'm just gonna play this, and I'm gonna get your reaction to it. So, I was watching this, uh, or passively watching this, because my dad had it playing in the background. I was over at his house on a weekend, <laughs> but um, 
Here we go. Like if you, a lot of the protests that we saw today, those were anti-capitalist protesters specifically, because usually capitalists aren't protesting so are much as we are. Rioters? We are contributing to society a little too rioters? much. Were they? Oh yeah, we're out there contributing to society a little too much to go out there and protest. Anarchist right. Here, here, here it gets even better. First, they misused the term anarchist, but. Here we go. That. Don't you think? Of course. If you're throwing flames, you. then you're not Thank a protester. You. You're a criminal. I think anybody would say that. Well, not everybody. Not everybody. <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, not everybody. Every rational person. I don't think that, that the, fl- the, pro- the pro-flame throwing is a very, very big segment of the population. <laughs> anytime you, you see the, the mask. Not the pro-flame throwing lobby. Anytime the scarfs go over the, the face from here down. It's called a baklava, you moron. You know you're dealing with professionals and anarchists and, mm-hmm. and violent protests. Oh, uh, you're dealing with professionals and anarchists. So, yeah, we're just, that's all we are, Josh. Just hey, because. Six, 60 bucks a head in some places. I understand that anyway, Steve, because if I'm a protester, and I've protested during my uh, earlier days back in college, I did so proudly. And I wanted to be seen and known, and, and that anonymity to me always really but undermines you weren't gonna the talk- Girl, you have no idea what it's like to protest in the modern society. You have no clue. Coming from an activist for a while, Josh was an activist as well, you have no clue. You, yeah, yeah, you think you have, you think that you want to be public until you're surrounded by a bunch of goons wearing stormtrooper outfits, banging, banging on shields, looking at you like your dinner. It's this weird game, every protest, especially large ones like the G20. Yeah. There's a documentary that I'd recommend watching called Into the Fire. Oh, yes, by uh, Um, Dan Dix. That was a great one. By Dan Dix at Press for Truth. And it's not... Even if, like, I highly doubt you're listening to this show and, and you like the G20 or globalism. <laughs> but even, even if you just, like, listen to this show as I listen to NPR, ironically, watch this documentary anyways, if only to just watch how, how these mass protests, the, how they move, how they, how they evolve and devolve over the course of the, the life. Because it's this very strange and gruesome dance where there's these disparate factions. Obviously, you have the police... And they're, they're highly coordinated, kind of like forming these choke points and moving protesters from place to place. Mm-hmm. And then you of always course, have nobody always, near the nobody nobody ever near the site, of course, because you're yeah. in a free speech zone. Exactly. And then you have the true believers like ourselves who go there with one cause or another. And usually, these people are sometimes they're environmentalists and you know and the Fed people all at the same protest, but they kind of have like some common interest. Uh, and then you have, you know, police provocateurs. Yes. They're always, always on your side of the lines, and you always have to watch out for that. Mm-hmm. And then at every single one of these protests, the black block guys show up at some point yep. and start flipping cars and burning shit. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, it, the real question is, where do those guys come from? I think it's pretty obvious where they come from. They come <laughs> from uh, advertisements in the paper and told they're going to get paid 30 bucks an hour. Yeah, well, hell, it's it's happening right now in in Venezuela in Caracas. I mean, look at Abby Martin did a, a a wonderful piece, and I I don't agree with a lot of what Abby Martin has to say, but she has she's she's got brass balls, and uh, she's done a lot of great work. Yep. Um, and she recently went to Caracas and essentially went out to see these claims that you know there these protesters are fighting the Maduro administration. Uh, for because they're oppressed and they don't like communism, mm-hmm. um, when 
And again, I'm no communist or socialist, but the facts on the ground that she came to discover were essentially that it's no different than any other protest that the supposed anti-administration protesters who want free markets in Venezuela are just a ragtag bunch of thugs. And uh, <laughs> they, they go around setting up these barricades and, fi- and firebombing, you know, uh, police until they force them to respond with, you know, tear gas and typical implements. Well, that's what, uh, that's what was so even, funny about the G20, too. Go ahead. They, they even put out a hit on Abby Martin and her, uh, and her cameraman while she was there. Uh, just insane stuff. And, and at first, they only let her in their troop of protesters because they heard she was from U.S. media. Uh-huh. And then after they heard it was a critical piece, that's when they put out the threat for the hit. Which means that, you know, if you're letting in U.S. media, then obviously you're probably getting some kind of CIA or State Department right. funding. Right. So you've been told, okay, American media, you're okay. Yeah, they're going to, listen, we've already told them what the narrative is. They're just going to go there and shoot some B-roll and, you know, maybe talk to a few people. And then they're going to put a package together and they're just going to run it. So just don't worry about it. Everything's going to be all right. Oh, man. Exactly. I mean, but yeah, that's the state of modern protest. There you uh, go. This is why, why, once again, I stopped protesting and I I realized that becoming a small L libertarian was the only logical solution because – if you think that you're going to if you think that you're going to use the weapon of the state to create change, you're sorely mistaken because you do not have number one the the right amount of zeros or commas in your bank account to actually affect change. And, and number two, you're going to be compromised. That's just that's just the way that it goes. Even in it, politics and protest, yeah. I mean, e- even in yeah. large media dissemination operations, I mean, this is and that's also kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with fits and the black budget pension mm-hmm. type stuff. Yep. We have our generation, Jake, has very different priorities than than older. I mean, we're younger guys. I'm in my mid 20s, you're in your 30s. Mm-hmm. Um we're, we have different mentality than the the guys who were like in the remnants of the patriot movement of the 1990s, right? Who are in their like you know 50s, 60s, 70s nowadays, in who still are Who's, in certain, yeah, who still believe that the UN's going to come with blue helmets and drag them out of their house and yeah, but even on even on a broader scale, intergenerationally, we have me and you have totally different priorities from. From, from older generations. They, you know, older generations need to keep the welfare warfare state going to fund themselves. That's right. So, so they want to fix the government. They yep. want it more efficient. They want yep. to go back to the glory days. Yep. where They want their money that was stolen from them. And I feel terrible that you know, they lived in this age of ignorance yep. and, uh, and consumerism and that they were, they were conned. You know, it's, it's had a tremendously negative effect on my life personally and my family. Uh, and and a lot of friends, everyone who went through two thousand seven, two thousand eight in this country felt that right at some level, especially in the Midwest where it's been so bad for so long. Um, but these people not only want to fix the government and keep these things funded, but Jake, they're the ones again who got stolen from. Yeah, did we get? Did I? Did I get stolen from? Mm-mm. Did you get stolen from? No. I mean, yeah, we get stolen from through inflation, and I, we get stolen from through opportunity costs and brainwashing and, and taxes for, and for, taxation. Forcing you know student debt on people that this is a form of theft, but it's not like I have I have had the best of my working years are still ahead of me is my right. point. Yeah, you know most of my capital acquired won't will be later, so I'm not trying to get back what was stolen from me. I'm trying to acquire something 
in this twisted environment and, and hold on to it. So those are very different priorities. <clears throat> Politically, socially, economically, they're very different priorities. And, you know, it's scary to think about a, a non-shooting kind of intergenerational war. But I see that developing as much as we've developed this kind of political war. So interesting enough that you should say that because this will kind of put bookends on everything. Uh, net neutrality is coming down the pike. And net neutrality has shifted from the idea that every packet is equal. And if you understand networks, that that kind of doesn't make any sense. But um, And there's no way to really... Well, I mean, I guess you could because there's a bunch of different IS or there's only a couple of really big ISPs now. But I got this clip off of No Agenda from John Dvorak because this is this is what it's all about, people. It is not about protecting the internet. It's not about protecting child porn. It's not about protecting you from hackers. This is what it's about, and I will hit the Mario coin when the million-dollar statement is made. Including Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, and Charter Communications, inviting each of them to come and testify before our full Energy and Commerce Committee. Once again, all of those corporations that he named have a stake in the game of net neutrality because right now all these different appliances like Netflix and all these other guys that sit on the edge in the, in the server room, and I'm getting a little nerdy on everybody, but stay with me, in the central office, they're not paying for the bandwidth. And that's what this is about, is that AT&T is providing you with the bandwidth and you're using somebody other than their service to entertain yourself. So what they want is a piece of the action. They're saying, you're using our bandwidth, this is BS, we need to be compensated because we have to get switches, we have to do all these things, we have to upgrade our core switches, we have to upgrade our core network, we have to replace these things, we have to maintain them, we have to hire out an outside firm to manage and monitor the network to make sure that nothing goes wrong. So here it comes, the million dollar statement. It's time for Congress to legislate the rules of the internet and stop. It is about the government owning the internet, people. It is not about keeping you safe. Homeland security is not about keeping you safe. It is about a centralization of power. The same thing that we've said before. This is the grab. You want to talk about cryptocurrencies? You want to talk about your ability to go out and, and be a YouTube star or your ability to live outside of this paradigm? It's gone if this goes through. Yeah. Gone. Goodbye. Well, that, this has always been the Trojan horse of net neutrality. Well, I'm, that- I'm going to let him finish, but yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. You finish your statement, then we'll finish the clip. Oh, just that, you know, it's, it's under the guise of, you know, making all packets equal. I don't even know what le- le- layer of the OSI or the TCP IP model that they would do this at. <laughs> but supposedly making all packets equal in some sense, when really it's just about creating or regulating the Internet as a utility. That's right. Just like you do with power or, you know, water. And I see that from one extent where you would want to have people in rural communities, you force Comcast and AT&T and and Verizon to actually give these people broadband because what they're going to do is they're going to sit a DSL switch out there that sits on a copper line that's been paid for a hundred times over by AT&T. Believe me, I lived off of DSL for a while. 
and they're gonna they're gonna absolutely take you to the woodshed for fifty five dollars a month for three megs of something over copper that they've already paid for a hundred times over, and there's no incentive for them to upgrade the core network. There's no incentive for them to upgrade the CO because all these switches cost at least $250,000, and they'd have to get a couple of them to service a small town, and they're not going to do it. But Yeah, small, small towns are either going to be on, you know, uh, on some kind of 4G, 4G. 5G yep. network. Yep. Or, or you know, just like the grocery stores, they're going to incentivize people to move to urban areas for there you faster go. internet. There um, it is. And, and it's so fascinating, a brief bit of history for you, that you bring up that point specifically. Because in the 1940s, 1930s, 1940s, uh, at the turn of the century in this country, most of power was not only, it was 12-volt DC, yep. it was hyper-local. <clears throat> most of the power in this country was from windmills and from uh, mostly hydroelectric power. Yep. And then in the, th- in the 30s and the 40s, uh, you know, the public works commissions came through these small towns and essentially started getting rid of them, uh, getting rid of these small power plants, uh, local, depend- local uh, you know, resilience. And the gamble, the gambit, excuse me, was, okay, if you expand, you buy a new piece of land and you put up a home on it, we will run the power cable to your home for free. You know, we will put in the infrastructure to bring you onto this grid. And that's how the centralized American power grid was formed. Before, it was a very disconnected thing. So was the Internet because all these different little cable service providers that got, that got gobbled up by got Comcast. Yeah. And, and, and for all of you that don't know, uh, Comcast and every other large <laughs> cable company out there, like uh, Time Warner Cable and all these other companies... That ain't their gear, people. They didn't buy that gear. They bought Bob's cable company that ran his own cable and provided his own switches and provided his own um, DNS server so that people could hit the web. And they bought his gear and said, okay, Bob, we'll give you you know, $2.5 million for Bob's cable. Okay, Bob retired. He's done. And then they just slap a sticker on it, and this is Comcast. And that's why you have cable service providers in some areas that are really, really good. And then you have some in other areas that will be you know, two or three streets over that the service is absolutely terrible. Because it's it's obviously a different infrastructure, different group altogether. I may yeah. or may not know something about this because I've been in this <laughs> market for eleven years. So, yeah, as you as you well know, this is a monopoly state capitalist model, and yep. you see it in all of these different industries over the course of you know American history. How they how the mom and pops have been gobbled up by multinational conglomerates. Well, it's the, um, it's the Soviet model. It really is. And if people haven't figured this out yet, I mean, we are going for major consolidation. Uh, in the United States, and this is not free market. Well, eh, I, too, I don't, I don't know if it's Soviet necessary. It's kind of, it has Soviet elements. Elements. That's what I yeah. meant. Yeah, it's really, it's really the best of a lot of different totalitarian systems, or yep. the worst, depending on what perspective you take. Uh, but the, the, for example, I was quoted Jake at ten that over ten thousand dollars to have power lines, you know, run run to my piece of property. Ten uh, k, good lord. $10,000. I mean, for ten thousand uh, dollars, I I could I could put up a wind and solar installation to power, uh, you know, my entire road, <laughs> and all of the seasonal <laughs> homes on it. It's a joke. It's a joke, which is pretty much, you know, what I did. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't spend that much, but I mean, this this is this is how that model's changed. 
It's fascinating. All right, let's finish this clip up. Up the ping pong game of regulations and litigation. And make no mistake, given the importance of this public policy debate and the work we need to do as a committee, it is essential that we hear directly from the country's top internet and edge provider leaders who frequently speak out publicly about rules of the internet. It's time they came before us and directly shared their positions and answered our questions. Uh huh. And then you guys get to rule on it because you're the rulers. Once again, the reason that I subscribe to philosophical anarchy. I don't need these people ruling my life and making decisions about what's best for me and how I how I consume a commodity or a product. That's what they're doing right there. They or are a sh- string of code. Right. Or yeah, or packets. Oh my lord. So th- Josh, that's those are all the clips I got. What do you I mean, we, we I touched on the fourth turning. I think we'll say that for the next show because what you and I discussed last night I thought was very fascinating. Um, and for anyone listening, if you want to get a little bit ahead of the game, uh, look into the terminology. We're not going to give you a crash course in it, but um, it's it's pretty fascinating. So uh, any final thoughts from you, Josh, and then we'll uh, we'll sign off. Yeah, honestly, man, I don't mind doing a deep dive, uh, you know, for ten twenty minutes on uh, on that topic if if you're up for it. But you know, if if not on the on the end cap front, uh, I think we I think we should save it for the next show, just because sure. it'll give me it'll give me some time to get some background and clips and stuff like that to give people some more context rather than just um, going back and forth. Because our conversation last night, unfortunately, we didn't record it, but it we did. We never record the good ones. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Oh well. Yeah. Although, although at some level, it's uh, they become so uh, all, to the outsider, it almost seems too schizophrenic and esoteric to follow. <laughs> <laughs> but on the on the front, on the net neutrality front, you know, we have a lot of scary things coming down the pike. Not only with you know the mandatory internet censorship or mandatory internet registration, we're seeing that rolled out in kind of like China or even like Facebook type login services here in America. Or Carrot, the new mobile app in Toronto, where you, you know, get vaccinated and get frequent flyer miles. Insanity. And they call it Carrot, Jake, as in, like, carrot and stick. Clever. It's beautiful. Yeah, give some good old Skinnerian conditioning. Um, But we're at an interesting epoch in that centralized services like Netflix or YouTube, video streaming services that take up a lot of data and a lot of bandwidth that these internet companies want a chunk of and that the government wants to be able to uh, have influence over. We're also seeing a competing model. And kids, I don't condone piracy. I would never do it. I think that's terrible. Stealing from, from, from Hollywood. I mean, how dare you? But hypothetically, if I were to be a pirate... I would note that we've gotten to a point now, Jake, where BitTorrent, the protocol, you're familiar with this? Uh, I've heard of it. The way BitTorrent works effectively, it evolved at the end of kind of like the Napster LimeWire era where, you know, the, the government figured out and, and in Hollywood and the recording industry figured out that if someone was hosting a service, like a server with all these MP3 files on it, you could go and you could shut down their website. And it's pretty easy to get rid of you. So essentially a bunch of nerds cobbled together this protocol where instead of a file being hosted in any given place, everyone would host the file and everyone would share little pieces of the file until new people, whenever they wanted to download the file, everyone would connect and give that person a small piece of this file. Sounds very similar to the blockchain. 
Very, oh, it's very similar. The blockchain, it's called Bitcoin for that reason, because it, it's a riff on BitTorrent. Uh, for those who don't know, Jake, I know you're familiar with that terminology, mm -hmm. of course. But BitTorrent has now gotten to the point where it's not just that you can download these files, you can live stream them. Uh, there are services out there, uh, like uh, if someone wants to search for popcorn time, I again, don't use it because that's incredibly unethical. But if you're just for research informational purposes only, uh, you know, you could use popcorn time and live stream pretty much any movie or TV show your mind could imagine. You're not restricted to, you know, the whims of Netflix or, you know, uh, people watching too much at any given time. Uh, this is a completely decentralized model. And we're seeing it now even in the browser with platforms like BitChute, uh, where this is just streaming HTML5 doing, using the exact same protocol. So you don't even have to download a program. You're literally just signed into your browser without even thinking about it. And that's really the only way to compete with these large bloated services. And I know Adam Curry and John Dvorak on the No Agenda show have talked about this before, and I completely agree that our current social media model and our current information distribution model on the Internet has very much taken a turn like it did in the, in, the not, in the mid to late 90s, where it's very corporate and centralized, and it's all about AOL uh, or uh, MySpace and all this crap. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we're just waiting for this next big technological or you know, programmatic breakthrough. You know, in the 2000s era, it was something, it was open source blogging platforms like WordPress. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, point click, now not only do you have your own website that looks good, but you can put dynamic content on it. That's right. You know, so we're, we're looking now at these decentralized technologies, even for just more mundane things like video sharing, are getting to the point where you can replace these corporate networks entirely. And it's getting really dangerous for them, but it's exciting for us. So we're we're on the epoch, Jake, of so many of so many different coin flip scenarios, uh, where it could go, it could turn into something really, really great, or it could turn into the nightmare. Um, but just you know, as always, keep an eye on this stuff, people. And if you're not familiar with uh, these developments, uh, just s start looking a little harder, I guess, because there is a lot of good news out there. It's just hard to find sometimes. Yep, absolutely. And then from a from a technology standpoint, be aware. Uh, that um, most of the people that are promoting net neutrality are um, Google derivatives. So they do have skin in the game and um, understand that just because somebody puts a nice GIF or a, a, nice, um, um, a nice picture together on Facebook uh, doesn't mean that they understand what this means. Uh, you just heard from the, from the head of the Energy Commission that obviously since... It'll be a utility. It's going to fall under his domain. That was his statement. It is time for us to regulate the Internet. That means government involvement of a the only true free market platform that we still have that, is not, that does not have any kind of oversight from the state or some kind of international body. So if you want freedom, if you want to to live dangerously and maybe pick up a virus or you might get hacked, but would you would it really be so bad if you got your you got hacked and you had to pay somebody uh, f a couple hundred bucks to unlock your OS, or would you rather have 
the NSA watching exactly what you do and blocking sites from you or redirecting sites or making them load slower. I mean, that's what's coming, people. So just be very aware that, um, like Josh said, we can go one of two ways with this. I choose dangerous freedom. That's just my stance. I, I would rather have the ability to choose uh, what what I do with my uh, with my body, with my mind, with my property, with my money, than ha- have an institution tell me that um, I, I shouldn't be able to do that. Once again, as long as it doesn't harm anyone else, or as long as it doesn't infringe on anyone else's property. So, just to be clear, I don't ever advocate for violence or any kind of um, any kind of force or manipulation like that. You just have to look at it very very succinctly and just ask yourself what's what's the best path to freedom for humanity because once we get out from under these rulers and they are rulers don't kid yourself and when rulers start to be replaced or when rulers start to be up you know uprooted very very strange things can happen so just keep all of that stuff in mind. So thanks to Josh Wiley for joining me here. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Remember, share it with people you know, people you love, people you like. Um, peace, love, and um, that little word we call liberty, people. Let's, um, let's rediscover that. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.